0: Today's sermon comes from Luke ten twenty five 25-37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live.
1: One author tells a story of flying into the Minneapolis airport in Minnesota, and uh, he was on his way to the convention center because he was going to, to speak. And he was in a taxi, and he came up to this intersection to a red light, he was about six cars back, and he described watching this uh, homeless man kind of lurching between the cars to get across the street. And he got in front of his taxi, and he, he fell face down, and he could hear the thud in the taxi. It was a a hard fall. So he opens the door and he gets out and he looks over the door and he sees that this homeless man had just split his chin open, blood was everywhere. And he said he had five thoughts run through his mind. One, he thought, I'm wearing a new suit and I don't wanna get it messed up. Two, I've gotta speak in 15 minutes at the convention center, I don't have time to help, three, I'm in a new city, I don't know this city, I don't know where to go or what to do, four, I have no medical training, so I really can't help this man, and then he said there was a fifth thought that was kind of stirring down in the, the corridor of his heart, and it was this, if you're dumb enough to get yourself that drunk, why should busy people Stop and help. Now, every one of us has had a thought to varying degrees like that when we see brokenness, when we see people in need. And the question is, how do you become a person of mercy, a person of compassion? Jesus is telling this story of the Good Samaritan To answer that question, how do we become a person of mercy and become a person of compassion? And he is, through this story, he is going to really articulate three truths about mercy that are critical to becoming a person of mercy. The call to mercy, the character of mercy, and the motivation for mercy. And so we're going to begin with the call to mercy Now, it says a lawyer, or what that means is a law expert, an expert in Old Testament law, came to Jesus, and we learned that he was really ultimately trying to test Jesus. What was he doing? He was trying to probably trap Jesus, and he wanted Jesus maybe to say something negative about God's law. That's what he he was aiming at. So he said to the man, he said, Jesus said, give me a summary of the law. And the man answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, Deuteronomy 6. And love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19. In other words, that means meet the needs of others with the speed, urgency, and joy that you meet your own. Good answer. Jesus basically says, "Mm, good answer. But this man, there was something nagging in his heart, right? So he pressed on. And it says, desiring to justify himself, he asked the question, well then Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now what was he trying to do? What was he really asking? He wanted Jesus to define this second great commandment in a way that made it achievable for him. He was asking Jesus to put some limits, to put some boundaries on it. You see, he was a good Jewish person and in, in Jesus' day, Jewish people lived with circles around them, and there was the, the person at the center, then there was immediate family, then kinsmen, and then, and then those who adhered to Judaism and converts of Judaism, and that was the circle, and, and they believed that within that circle, people needed help, but outside of that circle, people didn't get help, and And that's what he wanted Jesus to do. He wanted Jesus to delineate those boundaries that he was comfortable with, and so Jesus tells the story. Now, you also need to know that in first century, in the time of Jesus, uh, that, that Israel was a bridge of nations. There were lots of foreigners in Israel. You had the Samaritans, and we're gonna get to them, but the hated Samaritans, half-breeds, as the Jews saw them, that were right in the center with the Jews to the north and the Jews to the south. You had Roman occupation forces that were in Israel. You had uh, Hellenists and Greeks that would travel often through Israel. It was a bridge of nations, and so the Jews found themselves bumping shoulders with foreigners all the time. And so the question was, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And, And so he launches into this question or this story to communicate to this man that there are no limits when it comes to God's mercy, that there are no boundaries, that there are no boundaries of race or religious affiliation or ethnicity or socioeconomic status that draws a circle on how far God's mercy can extend. You know, in this story, you'll note that the only man that is not described in detail other than the innkeeper, but the only man that is not described in detail is the one who is beaten and left half dead on the side of the road. He's kind of a faceless man. We don't know if he's a Jew. We don't know if he's a Samaritan. We don't know if he's rich. We don't know if he's poor. And that's the point. Jesus says that it doesn't matter who he is, he's a man in need. That's your neighbor. But your neighbor is anyone who is in need. Now this is incredibly relevant for our country right now. In the climate we're in, with the rise of ISIS and a politically charged climate heading into a presidential election, one of the big questions is immigration. Who's allowed into this country? Who's my neighbor? It's the same question that this man was asking, that the Jews were asking. Let me just challenge you this morning. Do not answer that question according to your political party line. Do not answer that question as an American. Right? You answer that question according to the gospel, according to what Jesus is communicating here in the Good Samaritan that is broader in the Scriptures, and you answer that question as a member of the kingdom of God, which is your primary allegiance. You're a member of the kingdom of God first, you're American second. Jesus says there are no limits on God's mercy and who it extends to. No limits of race, religious affiliation, ethnicity, any of that. There's no limits. Second, though, what he communicates through this story is that mercy is not an option He tells a story to communicate the necessity of mercy. And it's all over the scriptures. If I can just give you a few examples, James chapter two, verses 15 to 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? First John chapter three, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, love for God and love for neighbor cannot be separated. Love for God and love for the needy cannot be separated. In fact, in Proverbs 14 and Proverbs 19, it says, those who fail to lend to the poor sin against the Lord. And all of that is just a continuation of what we see in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 19, where that second great commandment's housed, love your neighbor as yourself. God tells his people, when you harvest your crops, I don't want you to harvest up to the edge. I want you to leave the edge of your crops unharvested. And I want you to leave your gleanings behind. The gleanings were just what was left over of what harvested, what fell down on the ground. God said, I want you to leave those for who? The poor, the alien, the foreigner, the outsider. And he goes on, he says, with your vineyards, don't, don't pick up and collect the grapes that fall to the ground. He says, leave those for who? The poor, the alien, the foreigner, the outsider. You see, God's heart always always has bled for the down and out, for the poor, the needy, the foreigner, the alien, the outsider. That's always been God's heart, and we see it throughout his story in the Bible. And Jesus even affirms this in Matthew 25 when he's talking about God's examination of mankind on Judgment Day. He says, I know those who have true faith from those who don't by their fruit. And he describes the fruit as Caring for the sick, the poor, the sojourner, the alien, the outsider. Jesus says, what you've done for the least of these brothers of mine, you've done for me. Can't separate love for God and love for neighbor. I want you to um, imagine this story. You know, Jesus in Matthew 25, but broader, he's, he's distinguishing between True love, true faith, and lip service, right? True faith and lip service. Imagine a a very wealthy older woman who has no heirs but a nephew. And this nephew is super kind to her all the time, really, really kind. And this older woman wonders if this kindness is real or if it's just a facade. If she really can trust his heart, what are really his motives Imagine that she dresses up as a homeless street person and sits out on the steps of his condo and he comes out from his condo in the morning and and curses and threatens this homeless street person or completely ignores this street person. She'd know her answer. She'd know what his true character is. And God in the same way says this. He says, it grieves me Deeply, when you have one face for me and a different face for the needy. He says, you cannot separate love for me and love for your neighbor and love for the needy. You can't do it. Uh, One author writes it this way. He he, he says basically that Jesus is attacking here a, a comfortable religiosity that shelters us from the needs of others. That, that, that's what Jesus is addressing here in this story. So how do you become a person of mercy? You understand the call to it. It's not an option. Second, you understand the character of mercy. The character of mercy just, it shows up in, in the story that he tells, Jesus does, of this man who went from Jerusalem to Jericho. About a 17-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, about a 3,000-foot descent, along a winding road that went through the mountains, limestone cliffs, gullies on both sides of the road. In Bible times, it was known as the path of blood because it was unsafe, and you can imagine why. Bandits and robbers would hide out, and they'd mug people, and this man got mugged. And the shock of this story is who stops to help, right? The Levite doesn't stop. The priest doesn't stop, the Samaritan stops. And the reason this is a shock is because Jesus is telling this story to a good, law-abiding Jewish person. And Jews and Samaritans hated each other in that day. The Samaritans were thought to be half-breeds. I'll spare you the details of how it all happened and why. But know this, okay? racism was alive in this story There was an intense case of racism between Jews and Samaritans of the day. And so Jesus tells a story and guess who the hero is? It's not the Levite, it's not the priest, it's not even an ordinary Jewish person that comes to help. It's the hated Samaritan. It's the person who this law expert had come to learn to hate. And this is the hero of the story. And then you look at the length to which this Samaritan went to help this man who was dead, stripped, and half dead in the ditch. Verses 34 to 35, look look what he did. It says he immediately goes to him and treats him. He had oil, he bandaged the wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He rides to Jericho, he goes to an inn, pays for an inn, stays in the room with him, cares for him through the night, stays overnight with him the next morning. We presume he had some business to do. So he goes to the innkeeper, gives him money, and then essentially writes him a blank check. He essentially writes this innkeeper a blank check and says, listen, I'm going away. When I come back, if you've paid any extra, I'll cover it. He followed up. He was going to come back and check on this man. I mean, sacrificial, costly. You know, people have tried to run the numbers. Like, what what did the Samaritan really pay? You know, and and then, however you want to run the numbers... (laughs) He spent a lot of money. He spent a lot of time. It was sacrificial. It was costly for him to extend mercy to this man. You know, Tim Winton is one of Australia's best-known novelists. He's got more than a dozen bestsellers. He's won literary awards. And uh, he was interviewed uh, by Andrew Denton on the popular ABC television show, Enough Rope. And when Denton was interviewing Tim Winton, he, he knew of Winton's Christian faith. And so towards the end of the interview, he said to Tim Winton, he said, listen, let's talk about faith. Um, I know when you were five, there was something that happened to your family that was profound. Can you, can you tell us about that? And Tim Winton went on to describe, uh, in the mid-60s, his dad was a police officer. And was in a tragic, horrible accident. A drunk driver had hit him on his motorcycle. He was on a motorcycle police bike, put him in a coma. He gets out of the coma, and they, they bring him home. And this is what Tim Winton, who is five years old at the time, describes when his dad gets home. He says he was like an earlier version of my father a sort of augmented, augmented version of my father. He, he was sort of recognizable, but not really my dad, you know. Everything was busted up, and they put him in the chair, and you know, here's your dad. And he said, I was horrified. His dad was a big man, and he said that his mother had trouble moving him back and forth to bathe him. It was just difficult, and Tim's five years old, and he said, I, I couldn't do anything. And he said, one day, he gets a knock on the door. They get a knock on the door. His mother answers the door. And this guy by the name of uh, Lynn Thomas shows up and says, hey, I, I hear that your husband is sick. And, you know, word had gotten out in the local community of what happened. And he said, anything I can do to help? And Tim Winton describes that this man kept showing up and on a regular basis would carry him from the bedroom into the bath, would bathe him. And he did this over and over. And uh, listen to what Tim Winton said about what he calls this simple act of kindness from a Christian, because this man was from the local church in town. He said, it really touched me in that watching a grown man bother for nothing to show up and wash a sick man, you know, it really affected me. This strangely sacrificial act was the doorway into the Christian faith for my entire family. You see, mercy is sacrificial. It's costly. And I'm going to pause and just make a statement here. I am thrilled by what I see the Lord doing in this congregation in the area of mercy the heart of mercy that is being cultivated. You know, our deacons and our missions committee, compelled by this call to mercy, it's not an option, became aware and discovered the needs in this Southwind Villas community that we have been talking to you about. This community, 10 minutes from here, maybe 15 minutes on Southside Boulevard, right? That is a a high-risk, poor, government-subsidized housing complex, And in our recent back-to-school drive, where we asked you for backpacks and school supplies, you provided 65 backpacks full of school supplies. And when they were delivered to this community, the people that kind of oversee the distribution of the stuff, they were overwhelmed. They were floored by just the generosity the simple act of kindness. And and we hope that this is just the beginning of following Jesus on mission into this needy community that has never had a church partner with it. That's the church gathered extending mercy, but the church scattered extends mercy. In this room, how many neighborhoods do we have represented in this room? A lot. Lots of neighborhoods, apartment complexes, dorm rooms, That God calls us to be extending mercy in a variety of ways. Maybe it's the widow or the widows that live on your street or the next street over that need yard work or need something done in the house. Maybe it's widows. Maybe it's the fatherless child. Maybe it's the single mother that needs help. Maybe it's the family that has gone through, like Tim Winton, some degree of tragedy and loss. Or maybe it's the foreigner that is trying to assimilate into this culture, that God would propel us, that he would propel us into mercy. God calls you to extend mercy and to do it in a way that's sacrificial, in a way that does cost you. So how do you become a person of mercy? You understand the call to mercy, the character of mercy, and finally the motivation for mercy. This last point is the absolute foundation. If you don't get hold of this last point, what the motivation is for mercy, you may get after it for a couple weeks and then be done, or you'll just feel guilty all the time. You may even feel guilty now, like, I'm not doing enough. Listen, there's a motivation for mercy that is deep and rich, and Jesus is tapping into it here in this story. He exposes motives. He starts with the Levite and the priest, right? The Levite and the priest walk by on the other side of the road. You say, why? Why didn't they stop? There's a number of reasons why, potentially. They were probably coming from temple service in Jerusalem. They were coming from serving in the temple and going back home to Jericho. And so there was Old Testament law that said they could not touch a dead body. They couldn't touch a corpse. (laughs) And so... This man could have very well been dead, and it would have been costly for them. Uh, socially, they would have been unclean. Financially, they would have paid burial costs. And then professionally, they would have been barred from serving at, in the temple for a period of time. It would have been costly. The problem is, the man wasn't dead. It says he was half dead. But oh, to have to get off the donkey, grab a stick, poke the victim to see if he was moving before you could administer medical help. I mean, that's just a lot of effort. That's a lot of effort. Or it could have just been pride. Could have been, well, he put himself in the ditch somehow. Doesn't need my help. Or it could have been, felt like he was going to get ambushed himself. Like if we stop, this is a dangerous road. We, don't have, we can't stop. We might get ambushed by the same people that did that. And so they pressed on. You know, when we look at the possible reasons that the Levite and the priest passed, they hit home. They, re- they, they hit home deep in our own hearts of the reasons why our ability to extend mercy is hindered. Right? You may not get involved in mercy because of the social costs. Loss of friends, loss of family, being mocked, ostracized for delivering mercy or showing care to that certain kind of needy person? Or there may be financial costs. Listen, any time that, that you're called to give sacrificially, it's sacrifice. Something gets sacrificed. Whether it's the nest egg of financial security, whether it's uh, a new TV or the gadget, so, something gets sacrificed when you give sacrificially. And, and if you have an idolatrous love of money, you won't extend mercy. And then professionally, You know, mercy, and those of you that have been involved in in giving help to needy people, it's not a one and done. It takes time. And that time and the effort and the emotional energy can pull away from work. And and if you've got an idolatrous love for work, you say, I don't have time for that. As I said earlier, all of these can be pared down to one reason, it's self-preservation. And let me read you the quote I alluded to earlier. One author says it this way, Jesus is attacking the complacency of comfortably religious people who protect themselves from the needs of others. That's what Jesus is doing in this parable. So what is the motivation that drives mercy? What is the motivation? Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, He had compassion. That means that he had pity on this man. That means that he put himself in his shoes. That he bled with compassion. But you have to ask another question. Where does that compassion come from? What drives that kind of compassion? Lamentations chapter three says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That word new means fresh, never before experienced. Why is God's mercy new every morning? Because you didn't sin today like you sinned yesterday or the day before. That you experience his mercy new in every way. And how does God paint the picture of your sinful condition. It's not much different than the man we see lying on the side of the road half dead. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel says in chapter 16 as God through Ezekiel is addressing the condition of his people that applies to us today. Listen to this. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you nor rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling clothes no I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you but you were cast out on the open field you were abhorred on the day that you were born and when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood does that describe this man on the side of the road When I saw you in your blood, I said, live. I said to you in your blood, live. Isaiah 64 describes our best religious efforts like a bloody menstrual cloth, that we are half dead on the side of the road and God extended compassion to us. See, Jesus did not come down and pass by on the other side. In fact, Jesus came and bloodied himself on the cross. And he didn't become half dead, he became dead. (laughs) He died to rescue you out of your sinful mess. He showed mercy. God extended compassion and mercy. And he says, that is what drives mercy coming out of you. When you understand the compassion that God has shown you. In 2008, Paul Herbert, a municipal court judge from Ohio, was wrestling with his purpose. He was wrestling with how he could use his unique position as a judge to influence the kingdom of God, to have an impact for the kingdom. And nine months later, he remembers the day that, that he was seeing uh, domestic violence victim after domestic violence victim come before, his, uh, before him. And then he says, after a number of those just identical cases, the sheriff brought in a prostitute. And he said, as he looked at this prostitute, it, it looked like the same person as these 10 domestic violence victims that had come before. And it started to shatter his categories. And he started to do some research on the criminology behind prostitution. And, and this is what he found around 87% of prostitutes are sexually abused typically starting around age eight. They often start using drugs to deal with that trauma around age 12. The girls run away from home or foster care and are dragged by predatory pimps into the commercial sex trade. So it prompted him to launch a program, a two-year program. You see, he described how prostitutes would get convicted and then thrown in prison and then they were in and out of jail. They just cycled in and out of jail And so he decided to start this program where he would give them uh, drug rehab and counseling and electronically monitor them and have uh, support groups. And every week, they had to come back in to his courtroom and report on progress. And listen to what he says to some of these prostitutes that came through the program. One woman was sold when she was a little girl by her mother to older men for crack cocaine. Today, she's in Phi Theta Kappa at Columbus State Community College. Another was kidnapped by a motorcycle gang and raped, then transported to other gangs and sold for sex. And he says now she is two years sober from heroin. And then he goes on to describe what this did in his own soul, his own transformation that this did as he extended this mercy the Holy Spirit continues to reveal how much I've been forgiven by Christ and how similar I am to the individuals that come before me. That's really hard to say. My job is to judge. But the farther I go along in my faith, the more I realize that I'm just like most of them. And that makes me more understanding, more kind, and more merciful. Let's pray. Father, your heart throughout the scriptures from Old Testament to New, we see it. Your heart bleeds for those in need, for the poor, for the alien, the foreigner, the outsider, the down and out, the least of these. And you tell us that we can't love you and disconnect that from love for those in need. And yet we're all guilty of that, Father. Father. We repent of it. We repent of it. And we ask that you would give us, motivate us, give us a heart of compassion that we would see ourselves spiritually as you describe in Ezekiel, like the man in the ditch in the Good Samaritan, bloodied, half dead in our sin, and that Jesus, you came and you got your hands dirty that you shed your blood, that you went to the cross for us, that you showed us mercy, that you treated us as our sins, not as our sins deserve. And Father, that would motivate us to be people of mercy and compassion, doing works of mercy as you bring people in our midst that have need, whether it's in our neighborhood. We pray for our gathered church and what we're seeing happen in Southwind Villas and other places. Father, that we would be a people of mercy and that the cross of Jesus Christ would drive us towards it. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.